Hey guys, Zach here, and I wanted to let you guys know that Fieldwork is brought to you in part by General Mills. General Mills is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030. Zach back in uh, from another day of field working. Just kidding, we're actually in the studio with Bendy's microphones and everything for us. Talking about field work, though, on the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for coming back and joining us. My name is Mitchell Hora. I'm Zach Johnson, and he has the full opportunity here to to really sort of verbally abuse me, but he did not take that. I'm such a nice guy. Yeah, he just went with a regular show intro. Yeah. But that's okay. We're trying to mix it up here a little bit and keep the podcast interesting. We appreciate all your feedback here so far. and uh, But today we're going to keep on talking about some cover crops. Uh, this is a huge topic, so excited to just be able to kind of keep this conversation flowing here uh, today. What do you think about that, Zach? I think that'll be fun. So today we're going to bring in another guest via Skype. We're going to bring in Ken Fransky. Uh, just a full disclosure here, Ken does work for Central Crop Consulting, which is the company that we actually hire on our farm to do some consulting for us. And so I, part of the reason I'm really interested to talk with Ken today is to kind of get his take on cover crops being as far north as I am and working with people with my types of soils. I'm interested to hear his take on cover crops and how people have been able to utilize them in my region. And by your region, do you mean Canada? Uh, we hey? like to call it almost Canada. Planting in the snow is really fun. It's not. Oh. No, it's not at all. You're from southern <laughs> Iowa. You wouldn't get it. We barely even get snow. Just kidding. We actually had a lot. But it actually melts off, and then we get springtime and butterflies and, you know. Just butterflies and unicorns. Yeah, it's nice all the time. So do you farm in one of those areas where when you don't feel like farming today, you just don't? Because you don't have to. You don't have to hurry. Might like as well. The weather's going to be nice tomorrow, yeah, too. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Beautiful every day. Sunny and 75 all the time. That's right. And it's just fantastic conditions. That's how farming is. It's just great every day. Nothing ever goes wrong. Nothing ever breaks. And life is perfect on the farm. For anybody wondering, I've got a Minnesota farm for sale, and I'm in the market for an <laughs> Iowa farm. Hey, you can come down and, and farm right next to me, and we can just have our podcast down in Iowa. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds pretty pretty awful. Uh, okay. One or two days in the studio with you is enough. That's probably true. <laughs> well, we're going to keep the conversation going here with Ken Fransky. He's joining us via Skype, and we're going to keep on talking about cover crops. Ken? Glad to have you here with us today. Hey, I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, for myself, for Central Crop Consulting, Zach. So can you tell me a little bit more about your specific position with Central and, and what it is you deal with and why we've got you on the show today? Absolutely. So my, my role or my title for Central Crop Consulting is Agronomy Services Manager. So with, within you know, our company, we have an environmental services department that works with government programs, manure management plans, permitting work, engineering work with livestock sectors. We have a precision ag department that works with, you know, variable rate technology as applied maps, yield maps, imagery, you know, anything that we can umbrella under under precision ag, I guess. My role, kind of in the agronomy services role, I work with all 42 consultants from a technical training standpoint. So new products, new technology, you know, back to the basics type of training. Also bring in uh, outside speakers, presenters from university systems, crop protection companies, 
seed companies, uh, equipment companies. So a big part of what I do is trying to keep our 42 consultants on the leading edge in our agricultural industry from an independent, unbiased crop consulting standard where we don't sell products, we're selling service, knowledge, data management type services to producers in the upper Midwest. I like it. That's uh, kind of my role too with my stuff down in Southeast Iowa. So um, good. I, I think that's a good approach, you know, to be able to help these farmers out, especially when it comes to cover crops. You know, how much have you guys dealt with that? What's been your take um, in the cover crop space here, uh, maybe even over the last couple of years? Yeah, I, I would say definitely cover crops is, is picking up momentum, uh, name recognition, site recognition. In our area of our 42 consultants, we probably have around 20, 25% of them that have dabbled in cover crops with the producers they work with or are ingrained quite heavily in, in cover crops. You know, it, it varies from forage opportunities, maybe after a small grain crop or a corn silage crop comes off for some grazing or, or baling opportunities. Others are for erosion control and mitigation and, and management. And some are for really the cover crops, you know, around the, the soil health benefits where normally those producers that are going to be the heaviest in the cover crop are probably also looking at much more reduced tillage systems, strip till, no till, heavy, heavy conservation tillage. Because it's, it's hard to be in a, in a full conventional tillage system and adapt cover crops for the, the full soil health benefit in my opinion. And then, you know, we've got a segment of growers that work within, you know, the, the NRCS programs, the government programs, CSP, equip type programs that are looking at these enhancements on a slow, small scale, trying not to make a, a huge financial or agronomic mistake for their operation and ease themselves into cover crops versus maybe jumping in wildly with both feet off the dock. Well, that's really a big key to this because we all, you know, we can see the potential benefits of cover crops on paper for guys like myself who have never had good luck with them. I can see why I would want cover crops on my fields and why I'd want to work with that. I mean, there's multiple benefits or multiple potentials for benefits there, but do you have any advice for a guy like me who has struggled to get them going? And and I should tell you, we've tried them three or four different times over the last three years here and really struggled to get them going. I understand some of that has to do with uh, you know, conventional tillage and and running a corn soybean rotation on a uh, in a in an area where we have a shorter season for growing those crops, and so really getting the the seeds, the cover crop seeds, incorporated into my soil is the diff- difficult part. And so what we've tried to do is fly them on, and we just haven't seen some success with it. So do you have any advice for someone like me as far as what you think I should consider changing or doing with with what would make sense on my farm? Right. Great, great question, Zach. Kind of a, a, a big topic there. Overall, what we've seen through our consultant network is we would probably prioritize flying on a cover crop is probably the application of last resort because it normally comes with the greatest risk. Now, in the last couple of years in, in areas of Minnesota, South Dakota, where we've had significant rainfall, significantly above normal rainfall, where you know our normal precip is going to be in the high teens to to mid 20 inches of rain. So let's say 15 to 25 inches of rain in our crop growing season. We've had 35, 40, 45 inches of rain uh, in, in areas of Minnesota the last two years. And their aerial application seeding of cover crops you know, with good moisture uh, has worked out okay. But if we get into a drier environment or we're flying them on on larger size crop, greater crop canopy, 
we have a huge deflection issue in corn more so than, than soybeans. And it, it just isn't the best way to seed a lot of cover crop species. The, the other side and the other opportunity is, is defining some objectives of what are we trying to use the cover crop for? You know, is it erosion management? Is it to sequester nutrients? Is it to bring a legume into a continuous corn rotation that's a grass crop? And then the selection of which species do we want? Some species may lend themselves a little bit easier to establish successfully with an aerial application. But overall, the, the best application is if we can get something to seed those cover crops below the majority of the canopy and or seed them earlier you know, in the spring, if we're looking at spring establishment, maybe when that corn is, is knee high, say 24 to 36 inches high, where we can physically still drive through the crop and, and get some contact, even if it's a little bit of contact with the soil is where we've seen greater success with establishment of cover crops in, in the spring or in the, in the crop growing season. So that's good, you know, seeing some of those different specifics and whatnot, you know, and obviously you guys covered a pretty good area where you can learn quickly. And your role as a technical agronomist, whatnot, and, you know, in providing training, what do you think are some of the components that you think are still missing, um, especially at this, at the angle that you come about this issue at? Right. I, I think, number one, we really like to sit down with the growers and, and establish, you know, what are the goals? What, what are the objectives? You can be an excellent, say, corn soybean farmers, the primary crop rotation. We do have some small grains, some sugar beets, some alfalfa, some miscellaneous canning crops and things in our in our network and area. But, you know, you can be an excellent farmer for what you're used to doing. And when you implement cover crops, it becomes a very sophisticated crop rotation because we're, we're doing a couple things. Number one, for the primary crops we're growing, corn and soybeans, we are introducing a weed species, basically, because that's not our primary crop. So we, we have to be careful of when we introduce that crop so it doesn't get too much vegetative growth. So that, that timing aspect of, of where's kind of that critical level to get enough growth for the cover crop to be a benefit from soil health, soil protection, soil management, and the tipping point of where it becomes a, a negative impact to potentially reduce yield due to competition of, of sunlight, moisture, and nutrients with our primary crop. The other biggest challenge we face that I wish we had better concrete information on, and it's difficult information to get, is herbicide rotation becomes somewhat of a stumbling block. We need more herbicides with more residual horsepower to manage our weed species, keep things, you know, under control, as well as manage weed resistance from a technical standpoint. And it's very difficult to find a wealth of information on what are some of the negative impacts of some of our residual herbicides, what are some of the cutoffs, timings, the rates. There's scattered amount of data there, but I don't think there's as much quality scientific research data as there is some assumptive ratings that have been made uh, on herbicide rotations with cover crops. And again, one of the challenges with cover crops is is what do we mean? Is it just a cereal rye species, or is it a three or a four or a five-way blended mix of seed with grasses and, and legumes and other broadleaf crops? It, it's just hard research, hard data to, to collect and be confident in. Uh, that's probably the, the missing link that I would like to see more information on. If we, if we could pull one out of a hat today as a magician, that'd be the one I'd go grab. Ken, can you give me a success story about cover crops from, say, my area, west central Minnesota, somewhere in, you know, that relative area where you've had a guy 
maybe in a position like me who has struggled with it where you've been able to bring cover crops in one way or another into his rotation and and seen success with that? Yeah, we, we've got a couple of consultants that have worked with, with cover crop, you know, adaptation and conversion of a, a non-cover crop conventional till system in, in central Minnesota. You know, a couple examples, you know, one guy committed and, and he implemented the change to cover crops at the same time he implemented the change from full-width conventional tillage to strip-till. So he, he's using strip-till from a fertility standpoint, doing a lot of banding in that strip, and then he's using an offset to interseed his cover crop, You know, usually during the crop growing season. Instead of flying it on, he's, he's actually trying to seed it with some modified equipment. We have another grower and consultant uh, in another area that has gone the route of using a high-clearance sprayer adapted it with drop tubes and he's seeding cover crops without really any incorporation or tickling of the the soil surface but he's using these drop tubes on a high clearance sprayer uh, to drop the seed down into and below the canopy pretty much directly on the soil surface so he's getting it through the canopy deflection risk down closer to the ground where hopefully it can it can get in contact with the soil work its way through the residue over time. So, you know, the strategy has been implementing some tillage changes, some some seeding application changes, and then learning fast and, and failing shortly. If, if things don't work, how do you modify some equipment or how, how do you modify your, your total operation? Again, we're joined today with Ken Fransky via Skype. He is a cover crop specialist up in the Minnesota area. Do you think across your network, you know, there's plenty of guys who are trying to figure this out or like um or are curious about it and what's your message to them you know at that point where they're kind of sitting hanging out like zach is when he's listening to this and his tractor's driving itself what's your message to to them to uh spark some more thought process about about cover crops here yeah i think ultimately you know learn from others around you you know whether that's university experts independent crop consultants you know neighboring farmers you know, soil water conservation district employees, NRCS employees that that have hosted events, you know, have practical on-farm, you know, boots in the field applications with, with growers on, on how to establish things differently, what what to look for, how, how to make those adjustments. I think starting a little bit slower is probably the right way to go because, again, you can be top-notch corn soybean producer and, and make some pretty quick mistakes, and all of a sudden you're a very average corn soybean producer and then the, the economics are never going to work in your favor. And, and that's another area where, you know, we're, we're trying to sort out, you know, agronomics, we can say yes or no for yield. But when we get to the economic analysis, and I probably would like producers to think about that, but we can't really look at it from this year to next year. That That's too short of an interval when we're working with a biological system in our soil to fully take on the changes and, and kind of adapt biologically and that's hard for all of us to do is be able to stomach it long enough over five seven ten years and and let the biological activity change for for the better in most cases and and really get to the economic analysis instead of short term more long term those three to five to ten year periods so i think to be fair to yourself as a producer you've got to be able to implement slow and steady so you can say agronomically, I'm seeing some benefits, but also you can track some thing, things economically. So you truly know you've got your proper return on investment. Just, you know, cover crops can vary from, you know, as as low as $10 an acre invested to as high as, you know, $50 plus an acre 
just for the seed. And then you've got some application equipment or some custom application charges and things like that. So it's not a real inexpensive proposition to jump into. So making sure you've kind of done your, your homework of how and why you want to get started and, and what are the adjustments you're kind of have plan A, plan B, plan C along the way. Yeah, that's that's good information because we know the, the economics of it is, you know, certainly a difficult part. Like you said, the agronomics are there. If you can make the agronomics work is one thing, but then also making the economics work for you on your farm is is a whole nother hurdle. Well, and yeah, without looking at it as a long-term kind of thing too, like I said, and trying to baby step into it, being strategic and having that plan and then the plan B, the plan C to figure out, okay, if we're, if we're going to go this route, we got to really buy in and we got to be able to have a good mentality to it. And we got to be kind of curious. We got to have a kind of a fighter mentality too, that we're going to, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to tough it out, figure it out and uh, maybe have some hiccups along the way. But if I can work with others, um, if I can work with mentors and whatnot, like we've learned about here uh, so far on the podcast, that that can help me out and that there's resources out there. There's tools to be able to help um, and tools where I can go and I can think about this and put to, put together a good plan. So that's interesting. And I think you know, to one of your questions earlier, Zach, you know, in, in your geographic area, you know, central Minnesota, you know, things that we, we see, we read about, we Google on the Internet, we see in social media, farm magazines, wherever it's coming from. Things that are outside a fairly tight geographic area might not be applicable to Zach in, in central Minnesota. So things that are successful, you know, Mitchell, down in your area, you know, southeast part of Iowa or across in Indiana or Ohio or down in Missouri or Arkansas or Texas, you know, the growing seasons, the environments, you know, the growing degree units, the rainfall patterns, the soil types that affect soil biology, it is not a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach that I really think producers need to, to look much closer to home, you know, maybe in a 100-mile radius, uh, and start there, then a 200-mile radius. You start getting out further than that, there's things you can learn and, and things you can think about of how do they apply or are they applicable to my local operation in, in central Minnesota versus Ohio versus Missouri versus Kansas or something like that. So I, I put a little caution out there that I haven't seen a cover crop system that's a one-size-fits-all approach, just like I really haven't seen any farm operation that's a, a one-size-fits-all answer either. Yeah, I love that. You know, And I think that's really what the Fieldwork Podcast is all about, is throwing out those different ideas, throwing out those um, different resources and whatnot, to just to spark the conversation and to say, hey, we understand that there is a, a very much ongoing challenge that we're going to have here to improve our impact on the environment. Here's some different ideas. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's why I think it's going to have to be us as farmers to go and do it um, because a lot of the regulatory kind of side of things or uh, some overstepping of like full-scale implementation ends up being a blanket coverage a lot of times and that is not what we want to do um that each farm is very different what works for zach what works for your growers ken and what works for me and my growers down in southeast iowa is all going to be very different so can you know um a good quick kind of chat with you here today but what's you know a couple other of your kind of concluding thoughts and and where can our listeners go to to get some more information and to keep the conversation going with you. That's really what it's all about here. Like I said, fostering that conversation and sharing ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I think locally, you know, talking to producers, I think, you know, if growers are looking for some a financial 
uh, you know, cushion or a little bit of a safety net as they think about adapting to a cover crop system. Certainly talking to your local natural resource conservation service office, you know, your typical NRCS initials that we talk about a lot. You know, there are various cost share programs that you know, can help with equipment purchases, could possibly help with seed purchases, could possibly have some enhancement payments to, to look at soil health benefits, you know, water quality benefits, things like that. All right, that was Ken Fransky joining us via Skype. He Again, he's a cover crop consultant up in Minnesota area. Thank you, Ken, for joining us today. Thank you. Love the opportunity. Uh, would like to keep an open invitation to assist. Absolutely. Thank you. You bet, guys. Take care. So we need a lot of people to help us make field work happen. We are obviously not intellectually or technically savvy enough. Yeah, we're not prepared for this. So... We've got a list here that we're going to thank, and I'm going to try not to screw up any names. I'm going to start with Annie Baxter. Then I'm going to move on to Amy Scotchless-Cole, Dan Ackerman, Todd Melby, Lauren Humpert, Laura Doherty, and Jeff Thompson. A couple other people, too. Johnny Vince Evans wrote our theme song, and it was performed with the help from Corey Shreppel. Thanks for all the engineering and technical support that we get from all the folks up here at American Public Media and for letting us use your shiny recording studios also you can go to fieldworktalk.org to check us out and you can follow us on twitter facebook and youtube all at fieldworktalk everyone be sure to subscribe to our podcast on apple podcasts or wherever you want to listen to us here today We really need to end this show.